Bill Richardson was a little too casual with the announcements, a little too... Uh, see you, Bill. <laughs> we'll send him off to teach, you know. <laughs> Revelation chapter 22, by the way, that happens to be the last chapter of the Bible. I thought perhaps we would cover all of the chapter, but we're not. We're only going to get halfway through. So we'll look at verses 1 through 11. There's nothing more disturbing to me, environmentally speaking, than a trash-laden, polluted lake, stream, or pond. It just bothers me. Why would people choose those kind of sites to get rid of their trash? And we have many industries here in America that locate and set up on rivers so they can rid themselves of their byproducts, the products that they don't want from production. And that's very true here in our area. The Tennessee River happens to be one of the highly polluted rivers of our country. I will not personally eat any fish caught in the Tennessee River that is downstream from Decatur. Not going to happen. I've heard too many pollution stories from too many people that have worked there in some of the chemical companies in Decatur along the river. It's not a pleasant thought for me either that sewage and waste treatment plants always locate near rivers. Thank you. <laughs> but on the other hand, nothing appeals to me more than clean, flowing rivers and streams. I just take great delight in them. Years ago, and this is quite a few years ago, I moved from Southern California to Northern California. And Lori and I, we would drive out into the country and we would always be attracted to these areas where the rivers flowed down from the Sierras uh, into the valley, irrigating the valley, and then on to the ocean. And there were several rivers that flowed through our part of the Central Valley there. But the most beautiful river, the most pristine river, was the Stanislaus River. There was no industry on this river. So there was no man-made pollution between the mountains, the reservoirs, and the ocean. On the west side of the valley there, these rivers would dump into a river called the San Joaquin that flowed north and flowed into the delta, and then eventually into the ocean. And salmon would come up this Stanislaus River and they would spawn because the waters were so clean, so pristine. To our delight, to my delight, I should say, one day Lori's out driving and she found some acreage on the Stanislaus River out in a little town, a little cowboy town, and it truly was a cowboy town, Oakdale. 28 acres. 28 acres of heaven on the river 
and the Lord allowed us to buy it. It was a 28-acre playground for Don. That's me. To say I enjoyed this clean, flowing river, uh, well, that's an understatement. <laughs> we had a golden retriever named Carmel, and I took Carmel down to the river and taught Carmel basically to retrieve. This dog would retrieve till she couldn't move. As long as you would throw, she would go get it. One day, I happened to have a golf ball in my pocket. Yeah, I golf a little bit. I said, this should be interesting. I'm going to throw a golf ball out in the water and see what this retriever does. It was about three or four feet of water. I threw the ball out. She swims out, finds where the ball is, goes down, and gets the golf ball off the bottom of the river. Ha! <laughs> Now i got to show and tell for everybody comes to see me. Watch my golden retriever get golf balls off the bottom of the river. But it was such a delight there. But after we moved out there onto the river, one day I'm out checking out the river frontage and the land, and I found a dump site in this kind of covered-up, brushy area along the riverbank. It just devastated me that somebody would use this area to dump their trash. I had to clean it up. But, you know, the, the sadness that I felt when I found that trash site, I still remember it. You know, today, Lori and I live out on a little farm. We've got a couple ponds. We've got three streams. And I do my best to keep them clean. Can't stand pollution on flowing water. Our text today happens to speak about crystal clean river. So let's read Revelation 22, 1 through 11. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street, in either side of the river, was a tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their forehead. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of sun, but the Lord gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angels to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. 
He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Quite the passage. Uh, I'm going to share a little story with you. And you've probably heard it, but most of my stories you've heard, so that's, that's the problem with me coming up here every week. You hear my, I only have a few stories, and you get to hear them over and again. Years ago, I was looking at farmland in L.A., lower Alabama, near my aunt's house. And this was way back before we even moved back here to Alabama. And I was walking across this large piece of land, and I came upon this little wooded area. Now, the soil down in southern Alabama is very light-colored, very sandy, and I came across a small stream in these woods, and it was about a foot deep. But the water was difficult to see in this stream because it was so clear and pure. And so I stopped. I actually knelt down, put my hand in the water, and was amazed because you couldn't get a feeling of the depth of the water because it was so clean and so pure. And so I stopped and just marveled at this little creek. Water, when it flows across something clean and light-colored, it's difficult to judge the depth of it. And this little creek that I came across reminded me of verse 1. A pure river of water, clear as crystal. This country boy who is attracted to clean, flowing water, I will seek out this river that flows from the throne of God when I arrive in heaven. I know I will. And I might add this river in verse 1, it is not subject to pollution. It is not subject to drought. It will flow eternally from the throne of God. Now, if a little creek down in L.A. caused me to stop and kneel down and examine it, what do you think this river of life is going to do to a person like myself or like you if you enjoy that kind of thing? It's going to be marvelous. In verse 2, then it speaks of the tree of life on both sides of the river. Here again, most of you know I was a tree farmer for a while. So here I am caught up in verse 1 and 2. Love flowing water, tree farmer, man. Heaven's going to be special for me. At least the first two verses will be. But anyway, I grew almonds, walnuts, and peaches. And I'm not going to bore you by getting into all the aspects of tree farming. But I will be totally infatuated when I arrive in heaven and look upon this river of life and this tree of life. I think it's God's way of saying to me, heaven's going to blow your mind down. I think God is just saying that to me personally. I'm going to wipe you out with the beauty of it. 
These trees, the tree of life, I think it happens to be more than one tree, by the way, bear 12 fruits, and it says, for the healing. Healing is not a good translation there. You could substitute in there vitality, and it would probably read uh, a little better for us. This tree of life will give us vitality. It will give us invigorating energies. It will give us stamina. And some of you may be thinking already, uh, you know, I thought heaven would be void of time. And what's up with these trees bearing fruit every month? Well, in heaven, we will see a progression of time. We will see a progression of events. And uh, we will have music in heaven. And as one lady told me here in the fellowship, you can't have music without timing. <laughs> so she was right. But time is something we're not going to be subject to as far as growing old or far as dying. Time will have no effect on us in that way. We will function in a past, present, and future type sense, but no curse. The curse will be removed of growing old and death. And when you couple that with the absolute marvelous setting of the throne of God and how we are allowed to serve God, we will have purpose and we will have meaning. We won't be serving God in the arduous, laborious type, sweat of the brow way, but we will be serving God in a fulfilling, worshipful way. Heaven will be a place that is absolutely brimming with activity. Now, what are some of the images that the world likes to give us of heaven? You know, we're going to be floating around on clouds playing harps. I don't think so. We will derive pleasure and satisfaction in serving our Lord in an active way. Serving in a well-done manner. In a thought-out, progressive way. We will not be bored. We will not as it says, be floating around on clouds playing harps, but we will be with our Lord. Now, Moses, a man that was known as the friend of God, desired to see God's face. In heaven, we saints will not only see the face of God, but we're going to have God's name on our forehead. Why such a thing? Well, that indicates God's ownership of us, His children. His name on our forehead indicates and identifies us as belonging to Him. And we will like that. There's never going to be a question of our loyalty to God. And there will never be a question of God's favor towards us. His love will be manifested and it will be obvious of His love for us. 
And John continues in his description. He says there's not going to be any night there either. No need of artificial light of any type or sort. Now, that means there will not even be those halogen headlights that you see coming at you at night. Aren't those things wild? <laughs> they light up the world. <laughs> but uh, consider God. He says he's going to give forth light, not like a spotlight or even these halogen headlights, but our God is going to illuminate heaven, and God also is omnipresent. He's going to give out light from every angle and every description, complete illumination with not even shadows because of our omnipotent God. In Genesis, when, which we'll be getting into shortly here, <laughs> the Bible opens with paradise being lost. The book of Revelation brings us full circle and we have paradise regained. The curse of Genesis is removed in the book of Revelation because we have perfect restoration. God's throne giving us saints perfect administration. No longer will we ever be able to say, well, that wasn't fair or that was unjust. God's throne will give us perfect justice in an administration over us. Us being allowed to serve God speaks of our perfect subordination to God in perfect order. No chaos. No unhappy people in heaven. Seeing God's face. Well, that will be knowledge that we have never known of our God. Just seeing his face. The very thing Moses desired to see, the face of God, we will look upon continually. And God giving us light allows us to see God as He is. The eternal reign of Christ, perfect purpose and fulfillment. Heaven will be simply marvelous. And then this angel, he tells John, these words, these things I have spoken to you are faithful and they're true. And John has been told to write them down. And I'm glad the angel told John to write them down because we can read them today. God wants us to know what awaits us in heaven. It is not to be some big mystery of what is waiting for us. In verse 10 it says, Do not seal up these words. Make them known, John. Let me back up to verse 6. Then this angel again declares, God has sent me to show you, John, things that must shortly take place. And the things that is to shortly take place is Jesus is coming quickly. 
Verse 7, we have the first, I am coming quickly. Verse 12, I am coming quickly. Verse 20, I am coming quickly. Three repeats of that in one chapter. God coming quickly. And the thought there, it is more of a sudden coming than one of speed. It's not going to be like, there he is, but it's going to be suddenly. Our Lord will come suddenly. When the Lord Jesus raptures his church, that will start a series of progressions of events, and there will be no turning back, and things will happen in quick or sudden order. And we wouldn't want the Lord to slow down or turn back either. The church, when raptured, will be with Jesus at the Lamb's Supper. But at the same time, here on earth, the great tribulation, God's wrath, is going to be being poured out upon this rebellious, sinful world. And then we'll have the second coming of Christ when He comes in great victory. And then right after that, suddenly, we will enter the millennium, the thousand-year perfect reign of Christ. A perfect environment, no outside evil influence. And then it says, our Lord will create a new heaven and a new earth. And then suddenly, quickly, we will be ushered into heaven, the new Jerusalem, and this new earth. And all of this is done in quick order with no big delays in between. One upon another in rapid succession. That is the meaning of coming quickly. John is told, blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And how true that is. Right now today, we have a choice. Each and every person has a choice to keep the words of the prophecy of this book, be obedient to God, or be disobedient. Obedience, that's simple enough. It is acting upon the opportunity to align ourselves with God. And who would not want to be obedient? Hopefully, in this setting of all Christians here, obedience rules. But let me explain to you disobedience. It may not be exactly what you think it is. Disobedience is not necessarily refusing to follow or act upon God's commands. Disobedience can simply be delaying or putting off obedience. Obedience requires an active response to God's commands, not simply acknowledging God's word is true. Simple example. Johnny, go clean your room. Okay, but until Johnny actually cleans that room, he's in disobedience. Even though he's agreed to and he has done nothing, 
he is disobedient. Many Christians tend to live out their faith in their heads, not in deed. And multitudes, multitudes of Christians are guilty of this today. We mentally agree with God. We say His Word is true. But we're not obedient to God's Word by acting upon God's Word today. Somewhere, someplace, as a believer, you must cross that divide. You must align yourself with Christ in obedience, in action and behavior, not just mental assent. You have to determine somewhere, sometime in your heart, no longer will I delay serving and being obedient to God. Hopefully, today is that day for all of us. For today, right now, we sit here in what we call the age of grace. We're in the new covenant period of time. Mercy and grace are readily available to each and every one of us. So today, right now, while you have that opportunity to be obedient, obedient to Jesus' plan of salvation, obedient to making Jesus Lord of your life, I urge each and every one of us, be obedient. Choose obedience. Because the coming of our Lord could be at any moment. And then the suddenness of the, all the end time events begin to take place. Let me read you the last two verses there, 10 and 11 of our text. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand, meaning it's now. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. With everything in me, I believe the rapture of the church could occur at any moment. That is Jesus coming quickly. The final plan of the end times will then be set into motion. Should we not then be obedient to God's word? Allow God's Word to be the foundation of your life. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, don't let us be deceived into partial obedience. Lord, cause us to see the day that we live in 
the time that we live in, and the need for obedience in our lives. Lord, we want to be a people that you can look upon and trust to do your will. Lord, let your word be alive in our hearts and lives. Let it be that rock, that foundation that we base everything upon. This world is so fickle with all its desires and lures, Lord. Let us be men and women about you. Lord God, by your Spirit, give us that determination to be obedient to you in all things. Lord, you've proven that you're a good God. You've proven that you have nothing but good and wonderful things for us. You've given us a glimpse of heaven here in Revelation, Lord, and we certainly want to be with you. But Lord, while we're here right now today, let us enjoy the pleasure of being obedient to you. We pray for this, Lord. Do that good work in our hearts and lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.